Epiphany. Epiphany is the day that Christians remember the coming of the Magi and the giving of the gifts, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. It happens every January the 6th. We just so happen to have the opportunity to be in church on this January the 6th, so we celebrate Epiphany on the day that it actually occurs, 13th day after Christmas, 13 days after the festivities end and the gifts are put away. Epiphany is from the Greek word epiphania, which means appearance or manifestation. And the arrival of these three kings is a sign of the incarnation of God, that God has come among us, that he now walks among us in flesh. It is recognized not only by the heavens, but it is recognized throughout the world. The wise men from the east come to find the babe and to pay homage to him. You know, this gospel story in Matthew is only found in the gospel of Matthew. This visit of the magi, this visit of the scholars or the kings or the wise men. And this familiar story to us doesn't seem to fit any place else, and yet it is a very important story of Christmas. Who are they? Where did these three fellows actually come from? We know they came from afar, but where is that? And what would bring them so far to find a child, a child they felt was a king? Were they friends? Were they acquaintances? Did they work together? Did they even know each other before this journey began? Did they come from different backgrounds or a different set of beliefs? We don't know. But whatever the backgrounds, whatever the set of beliefs, they came together following that sign that had been placed in the heavens, a star, a star that they felt would lead them to a king because of the prophecies. Some traditions name them, and we can't even pronounce the names. At least I can't pronounce the names. One tradition says they were kings, wealthy kings from a foreign land. Another tradition says they were magicians. And yet another tradition said they were astrologers, or perhaps even astronomers, watching the heavens, following the stars on a daily basis, looking for this sign. But whatever the circumstances these three men came together with, we might assume that probably they were rather well-off to do, don't you think? I mean, just the costliness of the gifts themselves and the generosity to give gold and myrrh and frankincense, all of which are very expensive gifts, says that they probably had some money. And traveling in that day was certainly not an inexpensive proposition. You traveled through hostile territory. You were always subject to being robbed. So chances are that it wasn't just three kings and a camel or three kings and three camels. It was probably an entourage of some sort. Some theologians think there were even more than three kings, perhaps five, perhaps six, perhaps 12. And they had a security detail with them so they could get from wherever they came from to Jerusalem and then finally to Bethlehem. They also must have been men of leisure 
Because certainly a journey like this was not only expensive, but it was long. It wasn't one of those 24 or 48-hour journeys. It took time to travel hundreds and hundreds of miles by camel. I'm sure none of them put in for vacation for this. They had some time on their hands, and they were going to follow this star that they had waited for. So why did they undertake this pilgrimage? Were they dissatisfied with the lives they were living in a distant country? Were they tired of their riches or their position or their power? What motivates three guys to watch the heavens find a star, then get together, come together, and follow that star all the way to Bethlehem so they can find a little baby? They are woven into the fabric of our Christmas story. Our Christmas story is never complete without the three wise men. The celebration of Christmas is never complete without the three wise men. Matter of fact, today, Epiphany Sunday, you will find thousands upon thousands of three wise men in nativity sets in churches around the globe because this is that Sunday that we celebrate their arrival and their worship of the Christ child. But the question still remains, who are they? Who are those guys? Well, I want to tell you today that it really doesn't matter who they are. It really doesn't make any difference. The question is not who they were. What matters is why they came. Why they came in search. They are seekers. Seekers of the child. They came to find, according to the Gospel of Matthew, the King of the Jews. Perhaps they had sought signs of the King at other times and in other places. But when they saw that star rising in the east, they knew that was the one that they had waited so long for. That was the one that they needed to follow. They came through hostile territory, deserts probably, over mountains, difficult areas in which to transverse. They were subject to lies, to corrupt politicians, to theologians who were misinformed, and yet they were seeking. They continued to look, and what they did is they found him. They found the babe wrapped in swaddling cloth, and they worshiped the king. We don't know who they were, and that's not really important. What we do know is they came to seek Jesus Christ. And we do know that they were Gentiles. And that's something that can escape us sometime when they read this story of Matthew. They were not Jews. And it's somewhat ironic because the gospel of Matthew is primarily written for the Jewish people with the prophecies of the Old Testament so that the Jews would understand that this Jesus Christ was actually the Messiah that they had been waiting for. So a book almost exclusively written for the Jews describing the messianic relationship of Jesus Christ, here in the midst of it on chapter 2, we have a story that includes Gentiles. And I can't help but think that Matthew was saying the gospel of Jesus Christ is for everybody. It is for everyone. 
The message of Jesus Christ is not just for some select group. It's not for the in crowd. It's not for the group that think they have all the answers. It's not for the religious elite. It's for everyone. It's for the Jew and the Gentile, the male and the female, the black, the white, the yellow, the red, the slave and the master. It is for everyone. The wise men sought Jesus Christ. That's the whole purpose of this part of the story of Christmas. The wise men were seeking Jesus. They had come together, and we are reminded that in Him, them finding Jesus Christ, that we also should be constantly seeking Christ. It's not a check mark in a box. You don't say, Yeah, I found Jesus. Yeah, I found Jesus. Yeah, I found Jesus. Finding Jesus, seeking Jesus is an evolving, dynamic thing. It happens each and every day, or it should in our lives. Seeking the Christ is something that we are constantly and consistently about. And the wise men offer us the example that no matter what your station in life is, no matter how much money you make, no matter how much power you have, no matter how many famous people you know, that the most important thing you can do is seek out Jesus Christ and find him. Seek out Jesus Christ and find him. You know, as we begin this new year together, this 2019, it gives us the opportunity as a church to come together, to seek the Christ together. Not just every Sunday, not just when it pleases us, but come together all the time seeking Jesus. We can make it the focus of our lives together. We can make it the essence of who we are as Centenary United Methodist Church in this community. That we watch over each other and that we are constantly searching for Jesus Christ. We're not going to wrap him up in bevel wrap and put him in the closet. We can come together in him. We can come together in worship. We can come together when we read Scripture. We can come together when we pray. We can come together when we establish relationships and nurture those relationships, not only amongst ourselves, but between us and God. I believe that the sacrament of Holy Communion is a time when we celebrate that oneness. Because the Lord's table is never a table of division. It should always be a table of solidarity. A place where God's people can truly and honestly and authentically come together. In the Gospel of John, just after Jesus Christ has instituted the Lord's Supper, he is praying to the Father and he says these words. It's about his disciples. He says, may all be one. May all be one. I almost wanted to sing that song today. Make us one, Lord, make us one. Holy Spirit, make us one. Something to think about. Make us one, Lord. We shouldn't be divided. We should be just like Paul when he writes to the church in Ephesus. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There is one God, the Father of all. 
And the Lord's most precious symbol of wellness is the sacrament of holy communion that we are about to take. Today in the Scripture from 1 Corinthians, Paul writes these words, the cup of blessing that we bless is not a participation, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. The common loaf reminds us that Jesus Christ is the bread of life. He is the one that brings us together. He unites us. He is the one that we come together for. And today when we come to His table, we should come seeking the Christ. Because all who feast on the bread of life truly come together as one body. Don't let little things divide you. Don't let little things separate you. Stop concentrating on the things that break us apart and divide us and start concentrating on the things that truly bring us together and unite us together in Jesus Christ. We can lay aside our differences. We can lay aside our arguments. We can lay aside our complaints and focus on the Christ, the one who truly brings us together. One body, one loaf. You know, we don't know what happened to the wise men. We don't have the faintest idea. We are told in Matthew, they departed to their own country by another way. We know that a dream warned them not to go back to Herod, not to share their experiences for fear that there was harm coming. We all know that part of the story as well. But I wonder if there's not a symbolic lesson in that, that they went home by a different way. You know, when we come and partake in this sacrament of Holy Communion, when we come forward to His table this day, we come as the community of believers. And when we rise from this table and go back through those doors and out into the world, we should be transformed. We should be different than when we came in. The table has always been a place of solidarity. It has always been a place of oneness. But in seeking Jesus Christ, we should never leave the table the same way we approached it. You should never rise from this altar unless you are transformed by the Christ that you seek. You should never exit those doors unless somehow you have been changed, unless somehow you've been made a little different, somehow your lives are a little different for having sought the child and found the child. Symbolically, then, we do go home in a different way. Oh, I know, you'll drive the same car you came here in. You'll go back over the same road unless you go out to eat. And you'll probably enter the same house you've lived in for six months, six years, 60 years. But what I want to tell you is that you should be different. 
you should be changed. You should be going home a different way because you've sought out the Christ child and you have found him at his table. Whether you seek him in the manger of Bethlehem or whether you seek him here at Centenary United Methodist Church, he should make a difference in your life because you have found him. Somehow you are different. I believe the wise men were. I believe the wise men were forever changed. And so should it be with us as we come together in him. Would you bow your heads with me, please?